It's time for the Fantasy Points Podcast, brought to you by FantasyPoints.com. Top-level fantasy football and NFL betting analysis from every perspective and angle, from numbers to the film room, with a single goal to help you score more fantasy points. Hey guys, and welcome to the week three edition of the Fantasy Points XFL Breakdown. I'm your host, Jake Tribby, and I've got Chris Wecht here by my side to help us break down every angle of the week three XFL slate. Chris, how are you doing today? And how did your DFS teams do in week two? I'm doing good, Jake. Excited for week three. Another fun week of trying to guess what these sub <laughs> subpar football teams are going to do on, exactly. on the weekend. Uh, week two was not great, no, but not terrible. I think I more or less came out even on the day. Uh, you know, there was, it was a weird day where, you know, there was some high scoring QBs, but like there was no good stack. And I really thought last week was a good chance to capitalize on bigger game stacks with two of the games looking like good shootout options and the other two no, which kind of happened. It just, both teams kind of just really spreaded the ball out and, and, and to some very low owned guys that I didn't end up using much of. So it is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm right there with you. I had a, I had a decent sweat in the, in the $15. I actually had two teams that I thought were, were decently live for the 50 K I needed 11 second half DraftKings points out of Canella and Kirkland and, they both posted second half duds. So that was a little disappointing, but um, you know, I did use the the fantasy points projections to, to make my lineups and, you know, had 9% of my teams in the top 0.1%. So certainly can't complain about that. Um, Alrighty. Well, let's get into these games. Um, our first game is the Seattle sea dragons at the Vegas Vipers. This is a Saturday 7 PM kickoff. The only game on Saturday total here is 38 highest total of the slate. And, uh, um, Seattle is favored by three points here. Um, all right. So the big news with this game, obviously, is that Brendan Knox is out on the Seattle side. Um, you know, we can talk about this past game and stuff, but really, you know, the slate sort of starts and ends with Morgan Ellison, who I thought looked really, really good last week. And, um, you know, I think 69% of snaps, uh, you know, decently high route share. Uh, I, you know, he's really going to dominate this backfield. He's only 4,600. I mean, it's kind of a what's not to love situation. I do have a gripe with the Seattle backfield, but I'm, you know, I'm curious if you have any thoughts there on this, you know, this running back situation. No, I think you pretty much nailed it. I think coming following week two, you, I think you actually had messaged me and said, it looks like we're the bell cow is pretty much dead in the XFL. But now with yeah. like Knox being ruled out, there's some other stuff we'll get to later on. We actually, Ellison looks like as close to what we can consider some kind of a bell cow this week and projects very well. And I mean, he's going to be popular, but there's only so many decent running back plays really anyway, where you're not just hoping for, a, a touchdown somewhere. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, expanding on sort of what I said earlier, I, I do have one minor gripe here with this backfield. And, you know, you'll look at the projections and most people will probably think I can't, you know, I can't fade Morgan Ellison. He's a, he's a lock button play. And I, and I certainly understand that line of thinking, but we have to remember that this is uh, one of the least valuable backfields in the XFL only, I mean, through two weeks, the entire backfield is only averaging 13 weighted opportunity points per game, which is 43% worse 
um, than St. Louis and like drastically worse than, um, you know, a team like Arlington as well. So there really isn't a huge backfield pie here. And a big part of that is because these running backs really don't have much touchdown equity. Cody Main from Establish the Run tweeted that Seattle is actually throwing 90% of the time inside the 10 yard line and they're always going for three. So there's really no chance of like a rushing conversion for right. any of these guys. So, you know, I, I do think you can get away with with fading Ellison um, because, you know, there's just no TD equity there. He could get an 80% snap share and only end up with, you know, six, seven, eight DraftKings points if he doesn't find the end zone. I, I do think he's a really talented runner. And, you know, obviously the snaps are going to be there and the price is great, but he's not a perfect play. No, no, there, there's other running backs I'd rather play over him. But, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what people do with him because of how much Seattle passes the ball. And Danucci was upping his rushing rate last week too. Yeah, yeah, and he, another... he looked pretty—he looked pretty good as a runner. Um, so yeah. I, I'd expect—I'd expect that we see we see a bit more of that this week. Ellison's ownership is is tough. I think it's it's probably going to end up somewhere between fifty and seventy percent would be my guess. That's a you know a pretty big range, um, and it gives you a lot of opportunity to to gain some leverage on some of these other running backs we'll we'll discuss later um the seattle passing attack you know i think i think this is a pretty straightforward conversation here ben Danucci, they're throwing you know 70 percent of the time um Danucci looks good as a runner he's been hit or miss as a passer but you know the bottom line is they're throwing a ton they're throwing a ton in the red zone and they're going for three every time and i've been thinking about these three conversions a lot i mean it counts as three points for the passer as well so three point yes. conversion for 75 percent of a passing touchdown. I'm not saying like a situation like this is likely, but we could see Danucci throw three passing touchdowns and score three three-point conversions. That's 21 DraftKings points on on touchdowns and conversions alone, not even counting the yardage. So, I mean, we have Danucci as the highest projected quarterback of the slate, uh, I think by, you know, several points, which is, um, you know, I'm, I'm pretty confident in that projection. I think we can pretty safely project him to be the, the highest scoring passer because of, you know, what I said, <laughs> the, uh, the conversions and, and everything like that. So what's, what's your take on the Seattle passing game? What, uh, what wide receivers do we want to target here? So the one note, if, if you do want to play Danucci and really, if you're playing any of the more popular Seattle running or receivers, I think you kind of have to play Danucci with them. And if you're playing Danucci, you probably want to play two pass catchers from Seattle just because he's going like we, because he's going to be the most highly projected QB on, on all the sites. He's going to be the most popular because of that. You're you, like, you, you really need a ceiling outcome from him. And that means he's throwing, you know, at least two touchdowns. And like you said earlier, three point conversions count for three for him and three for whoever catches the ball. Yep. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. I think if you're if you're looking for some lower owned options with Danucci, I mean it's pretty obvious. It's Josh Gordon and and Jordan VC. You mix yeah. those guys in with Jakur Pearson and Blake Jackson, and you've got some some interesting stacks there. I also think not that this is something I'll do on on many teams, but I might actually triple stack Danucci on a few um, on a few teams. Um, yeah, so I. <sighs> One final note on um, Seattle is that industry-wide, uh, Danucci's projection is actually pretty close to other quarterbacks. I think we're by far the highest on him. Um, a few other sites have him pretty close to guys like um, Silvers, Cone, um, Sloter, which I just think is a mistake. I mean, I think we can pretty safely project him, you know, three, four more DraftKings points than the next closest quarterback. So... Um, he won't pop as a value as a very strong value industry wide, but I, I do still think he'll be, he'll be pretty highly owned there. 
Yeah, um, I wonder if that keeps maybe that keeps his ownership a little bit in check because of him not popping as a value as much. But yeah, I feel yeah. I feel pretty good about having him. What are we at? Like uh, a little less than three more points than the next closest QB in our projections. Yeah. yeah, I feel I feel pretty good about that as well. We'll get to some of these stronger value quarterbacks ahead. Quarterback ownership, I think, is a really interesting debate, and I'm I'm still I'm still not quite sure where where the chips are going to fall there. Um, moving on to Vegas. Um, I mean, really the only thing to talk about here is the Vegas passing attack. And I'm, I'm pretty excited about some Brett Hunley stacks. I thought Hunley looked, um, you know, respectable in what was, you know, just terrible field and weather conditions last week. And we got to remember that he's right there with AJ McCarron as the most experienced NFL quarterback playing spring football right now. He's only 7,400 in our projections. We actually have him as the pretty clear top value at the quarterback position. I do not think ownership is going to reflect that. I think he'll be probably at most quarterback three in terms of ownership, somewhere in the 10 to 15% range. Um, and I, I love that. I, I think I'm going to play a decent bit of Hunley and, you know, the, the pairing's pretty straightforward. You can pair him with Bidette, uh, pair him with Martavis Bryant. Uh, Geronimo Allison is is also viable there. He um, he suffered a shoulder injury last week, but he practiced in full all week, so I'm not too worried about him. Um, what's your take on this uh, Vegas basket tag? Yeah, Hunley is is one of my favorite QBs. I think of this slate. I don't. Yeah, I don't like the Vegas offense was much better with him in the game than it was with Lewis Perez last week. Yeah, like the the entire team got better. Um, and yeah, he's gonna. He's definitely going to be the best value at QB. He's you pretty much know his three receivers. So yep. you have a pretty condensed target tree or target share tree and stack them up any way you want. Bidette is probably my favorite of the bunch because he he definitely projects the best for us. And also it doesn't look like ownership is going to be too crazy on him either. So yeah, mix and match the the Vegas QB stacks and and you're and you're not going to have to eat too much ownership to do it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, um, you know, I think it's a pretty unique way to play this game because everyone's going to want, you know, Danucci plus the Seattle passing attack and then maybe, you know, tack on a, a Vegas receiver. But if you go, you know, you, you do a Hunley double stack, you can play Jakir Pearson. And, you play Pearson and you're not yeah, even, you're yeah, not even be, to have to be worried about being too chalky. Exactly. It's a, it's a super gross split right now. Um, I am not... Not very anxious to play anyone. John Lovett led the backfield in weighted opportunity last week. Um, but yeah, I'm yeah, not. I'm I, I, out on the running backs. Yeah, okay. there's no yeah. reason to play them. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Moving on to the first game on Sunday. We actually have a three-game Sunday slate. And DraftKings made um, you know three-game Sunday slate contest with 20K to first. So if you want to just skip that Saturday game and you know compete for some, some big money Sunday only, that's a that's a viable option, which I absolutely love. Um, so yeah, we got the St. Louis Battlehawks at the DC. Def- really strong home field advantage, although we haven't seen St. Louis play at home quite yet. This is a 1 p.m. Sunday kickoff. Total is 36 and a half. DC is favored by two points. A lot of crucial injuries here. Um, Brian Hill looks questionable. Marcel Aitman looks questionable. The DC defenders are also missing two offensive line starters. Um, starting with St. Louis, 
This passing attack is really interesting, especially if we assume Aitman sits. That sort of opens the door for guys like Hakeem Butler and Darius Shepard to earn significantly more targets. Um, I'm not sure if you have a strong take here. McCarron kind of feels like last week where he's not going to be super highly owned, but you know he still has the upside. Um, and yeah, he feels like a pretty decent option for, for tournaments. Yeah, he's... I feel like we said he was kind of fine last week and I kind of feel the same way about him this week. He doesn't project bad. He's just expensive and he, he's not in the best game environment. I, I like, I find it hard. I, I like the under in this game a good bit mm-hmm. just because of how much DC likes to run the ball. Um, and if they're, I mean, what you could say is maybe with the missing O lineman from DC that they struggle offensively means more mm-hmm. possessions for St. Louis but we don't really have a history of St. Louis uh, being as, you know, super aggressive either. So, you know, he's fine. I I would be totally fine mixing him into like, if you were doing 10 or 20 lineups, obviously if you were doing 150, you definitely mix him in. But um, I would be totally fine leaving him off my teams if I was doing single entry or three max type stuff. Yeah. Yeah. of around these receivers Hakeem Butler is a guy that I wrote up he had a 71% route share last week granted Marcel Aitman went down at the beginning of the third quarter um you know with Aitman legitimately questionable at least that's that's how things appear as of the the Thursday practice report um you know Butler is is a really interesting option and one that I I don't think is going to catch much ownership even if Aitman sits Butler had two end zone targets last week I mean he's a huge body they they really like him near um you know, in the red zone near the end zone. Um, you know, do you, do you have a strong take on Hakeem Butler? It's yeah, it's tough to tell because of the the way the injuries happened last yeah. week. I mean, he he looks pretty good. I mean, he you know he's played in the NFL. He's definitely a bigger guy. Um, transitioned to tight end in the NFL, so he may maybe he's just physically can can beat some of these guys in the XFL. I don't have a strong take on all the receivers as a whole pro pro will probably be my favorite. Um, and then obviously if, if Aitman sits, Butler definitely gets a bump. And even if Aitman's in though, I think Butler's also fine. If you wanted to do McCarran stacks in some way. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you there. I think pro will, will certainly be the most popular there. Um, you know, and then if we assume Aitman's out, uh, you know, Butler will also probably catch a little ownership, but I, I doubt he's, you know, above 10%. Uh, Darius Shepard, I think, will go severely overlooked if Aitman sits. Um, you know, that's a guy who also has NFL experience, is a pretty competent wide receiver on the outside. Um, and he it's could tough. definitely. He's just not getting targeted at yeah, all. It's, yeah. I, I, I don't he's out think. He's there running around, though. Like he's running all, he's running more routes than everybody, I think. Yeah. He's, the... he's a cardio guy right now. But if, you know, if Aitman were to sit, I, my hope at least would be that he would, he would get a little more right. involved um, in the offense. Running back for St. Louis. Also pretty interesting because we have Brian Hill questionable. Um, if Hill were to sit, both Mateo Durant and Kareem Walker would be in play as as decent values. We saw a pretty close to even split there. Um, I think Mateo Durant got uh, slightly more work, um, and I, I think he got uh, more red zone carries last week as well. Um, I'm honestly I'm very interested in Brian Hill if he manages to mm-hmm. play because I think he's going to go severely overlooked. Um, you know, in week one, he was he was a bell cow when he was healthy. Um, you know, he played the first quarter around 80 percent snaps from just from watching the game, played the fourth quarter, 
kind of similar deal, you know, missed the second and third with that hamstring injury, missed week two with the hamstring injury. Um, yeah. What, what are your thoughts on the St. Louis backfield? Yeah. I really, really want Brian Hill to, to be active and play because he, he, he's not going to get popular because there's kind of three guys in the backfield, but the other two have just been so bad running the ball. Dur- Durant is, is averaging 2.1 yards per carry. Walker is slightly better at 3.1. If Hill's inactive, it's kind of like then it makes Walker or Durant viable, which I don't want to feel like I want to play them because I think they're bad. So I'd rather Hill be active and then I can mix him in and he's not going to get that popular because of it. Or, yeah. And then if he's inactive, I'll probably mostly stay away. But like you said, it it creates a situation where they're going to get a decent amount of work. So you you might want to mix them in as well. Yeah, Kareem Walker, not very expensive. Uh, just double-checked weighted opportunity. Uh, Mateo Durant actually did almost double up Walker in weighted opportunity last week, had all three of uh, the red zone opportunities, mm-hmm. but he is more expensive. So, um, you know, I think I slightly prefer Durant if Hill sits, but I, yeah. you know, I'm not going to go um, super hard on either guy. This is a pretty valuable backfield overall, at least measured in weighted opportunities. So there, you know, there is the potential for a, a big game here. I, I do think you'll want a piece of the backfield regardless of Hill's status. Um, but yeah, far from, I mean, we, we have some elite tier uh, running back options. Uh, another one we will get yeah. to a little bit later, uh, but yeah, it's, it's tough to beat a guy like Morgan Ellison. Um, Alrighty. Moving on to the DC side. Um you know, I will give my uh, my Derek King pitch, and then you can you can Every say week. that it's yeah, he's just not even not even in play. But Derek King, you know, on rushing production alone, if you extrapolate him out to a full game, thirty three point three DraftKings points per game. I mean, this guy is an absurdly good rusher. The problem is Jordan Tayamu is going to start this game at least all indicate all signs point that way. And, uh, you know, the real question is just like, how quickly does King get bent or how quickly does Tayamu get benched? Because if you tell me it's, you know, some point in the first half, I actually do think King is in play for the four game slate and the three game slate, regardless of when Tayamu gets benched, King is definitely in play for the showdown slate. Um, so it's, you know, it's a really tricky, uh, quarterback situation here in DC, obviously, you know, for fantasy purposes, we just want Derek King to be the starter. And I think, you know, everyone who watches these games would agree that the DC offense looks much better with Derek King at quarterback. Um, you know, uh, how do you feel about this DC quarterback situation? I'm not doing it, Jake. You can't make <laughs> me play Derek King for yeah. four, for $400 more. I can play Brett Hundley. That is, that is a great, uh, a great which means point. he's probably a good play because it feels it feels gross. And then, you know, that's mm-hmm. how you win $50,000. Cause you're the only, you're the only person that plays Derek. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I mean, I'll probably make around 30 teams, um, in the big main slate GPP. And I will probably play Derek King on, on one or two, if only for the brand. I mean, if I went 50 K <laughs> with a Derek King lineup, like that's going to go down in spring football. Daily fantasy history is, yeah. is one of the great, the great plays, but you know, regardless, I think he's a fantastic play for the showdown slate. Yeah, um, I actually really like showdown teams that have both Tayamu and King uh, with, you know, either one at, at captain really. Um, 
you know, outside of this uh, or outside of the the really gross quarterback situation, actually, we just got a question about if Danucci could get benched if he were to fumble again. He's had a lot of turnover issues. I really don't think there's a big benching risk there. Um, he's one of the quarterbacks I'm the most confident in, so I would not worry about that much. We're not factoring that into projections right now. You know, he's got 100% passing share, so I don't know yeah. if you have a, a different take there. No, we, I mean, we've seen multiple teams mix in QBs and, and we've seen zero signs of anything remotely like that in, in Seattle. So it's just not worth, I I don't think you have to worry about it really much at all. I I think Seattle is has full faith in this guy, but um, back, back to DC, the DC rushing attack, you know, obviously pretty efficient uh, regardless of who's at quarterback, but especially efficient with the Eric King in there. Um, Abram Smith and Raquel Armstead are kind of splitting carries. Abram Smith relatively overpriced. He, you know, he doesn't project as a super strong value. Raquel Armstead does project as a decent value. I, I do think he's in play. I mean, realistically, you, you can play both guys uh, mm-hmm. because they, you know, could fall into the end zone once or twice and um, and certainly get you there. I mean, we saw we saw last week the running back scores were just abysmal. I think Abram Smith. Led all rushers with like 14 DraftKings points. Like I think really Borgie, Borgie outscored him eventually didn't oh, that last he, touchdown. But yeah, yeah I, I think he, he might have gotten there. It was both guys were around like 13, 14 DraftKings yeah, points. Like yeah. we're not talking big scores here. So if a guy, you know, guy falls into the end zone twice, um, he's probably going to be the optimal running back. And, you know, both of these DC backs are, are live for that. I think Abram, we have Abram Smith projected for a little more red zone work, but he is, you know, almost twice the price of, of yeah. Armstead. They're not fun clicks, but they, you know, they have viability because of how much DC runs the ball. Yeah. And the the other thing with Armstead too, is because he's basically the exact same price as Ellison. He's not going to catch any ownership despite being a pretty decent value. I think we have him. Let's see. We've got him RB4 actually in terms of value right now. And ownership is just not going to reflect that because everyone's going to want to click Ellison instead. So I do think, you know, you could play all chalk and just swap out Ellison for for Armstead and, you know, have a have a decent team there. Um, you know, obviously you could argue that the touchdown equity isn't there um, for Armstead as much as it is for Smith. But, you know, it's it's the XFL. Yeah. Um, so any, anything could happen. Um, passing attack. I, I really don't have many guys that I'm, I'm interested on the DC side. I mean, lucky Jackson, I guess is, is okay. Um, I think Hammond is also to me, him or lucky Jackson are more or less the same Hammond. It looked like lucky Jackson was going to be like far and away the best receiver on this team, but Hammond Mm -hmm. caught up to him a good bit in terms of target share and stuff last week. So, yeah, I don't think, um, you know, Chris Blair at min price, maybe you could argue he's in play. I, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm mostly just staying away from this DC passing attack. I think really when, when you're talking about these guys, it's pretty much only for, uh, for showdown. Um, yeah, not sure if you have anything else you want to say on the, on the DC passing attack. Nope. It's. Uh, we probably should just mention. I think we totally skipped over Tayamu. Where uh, he's not really playable, right? At ninety four hundred. No. The, yeah, yeah, I'm not. I'm not. If I'm playing a DC quarterback, it's it's my boy Derek King, yeah. and I'm not. I really don't want much much of him either. Um, at least for at least for main slate, he's slightly more interesting for the three game slate. But again, I mean, it's a super high risk play where you're basically just praying Tayamu gets benched, like he throws like two pick sixes immediately and gets right. and gets benched. Um, alrighty, moving on to this second game on Sunday, we have the Orlando guardians at the Arlington renegades. This is a 4 PM kickoff total is 37 Arlington favored by eight and a half. 
Uh, I think this actually started as a, a nine and a half point spread, which is, I mean, pretty insane for a brand new league. Uh, Odds makers just incredibly down on Orlando. If you can still find Orlando plus nine and a half, I, I actually kind of like that bet. I, I, I thought about it. Um, I, I don't think any book lists it anymore uh, at nine and a half, but if you can find it, I, I really don't hate uh, backing Orlando at nine and a half because Arlington just isn't very good. Arlington actually no. touts the highest implied team total of the week at 22.75, higher than Houston, which I, I do think is a mistake. I mean, the Orlando defense is terrible, giving up 31.5 uh, points per game so far through two weeks. But the Arlington offense hasn't shown us um, a ton so far. Do you have any any betting angles you like for this one? Yeah, I agree. I don't think the this game doesn't reach the total by Arlington getting to 22 or higher points it's because Orlando scores a little bit more than we than Vegas yep. is expecting them to so I agree yep. with you yeah right there with you um on the Orlando side of things I mean I really don't have much here quarterback you know you can't it's going to be a split we saw um Quentin Dormady got cut for feeding uh, plays to another team's quarterback, which was just a, a fascinating tale. I guess, I guess he's a mole. Um, but that was, that was weird. So at the very least, it's a two quarterback rotation between DeAndre Francois and Paxton Lynch. I don't want any part of that. Um, you know, you can play uh, on the running back side of things. You can play John Mayne Martin. He's overpriced. He doesn't project, um, you know, super well. But I do suppose he's in play. You know, 65% of backfield weighted opportunity is is pretty good, second to only Max Borgie. Um, really, though, I think on the Orlando side of things, the whole conversation kind of revolves around these receivers. Yeah, they're the only guy people from the team that I'm really interested in. Latimer is probably my favorite of the bunch. Um, Rambo runs a lot of routes similar to Darius Shepard, but again, is another guy that just does not earn targets. Um, Lance Lenore is a guy that we think can start to earn more workload as the weeks go on. It's just tough to gauge how quickly that's going to happen. Um, but he's worth taking shots on, I think, as you just want to be early on it and, and catch it as he, cause we just, we saw him dominate in the USFL at, at such a high level. Yeah. Lance Lenore is like actually the Allen Robinson of spring football where like this dude, like the Michigan Panthers and now the Orlando guardians. I mean, the quarterback play this man has been faced with is just like objectively terrible, but he's a really talented spring football wide receiver. And I do think he emerges as their top pass catching option. Eventually, um, you know, playing him this week though, there's, there's plenty of risk. He, you know, 50% of routes in his, in his first game, he'd only been with the team for a few days but at the same time, only one target, and I, I think it hit him in the hands, and he just dropped it. So, you know, there's plenty of risk with with playing Lenore, but I really like him as like a one or two percent owned kind of play because maybe they they thrust him into a bigger role, and he's you know 75, 80 percent route share. Um, you know, Eli Rogers and uh, Cody Latimer are both very strong values, and those are guys that I'm going to mix in on a on a decent amount of teams, especially because you know we expect Orlando to lose this game and perhaps by uh, by a significant amount, which means they're going to have to throw. Uh, Latimer, there was a sequence last week near the end of the game against San Antonio where there were a ton of penalties. They got it into goal to go. And I think they ran like eight plays in a row inside the 10 because of all the penalties. And every single pass they threw was a target to Latimer. Um, so Latimer is their red zone and end zone guy. He's got really strong TD equity. Uh, last week, we were way over the industry on him. 
and you know it ended up paying off. He scored 13 DraftKings points uh, at five percent ownership this week. Uh, you know, ownership is definitely going to account for the fact that that Latimer has excellent TD equity, and um, you know it's pretty close to an every down player for them. Um, but I I still like him as a play. He'll be in you know maybe 15 or 20 percent of my teams. Um, and then yeah, I like I like Lenore as sort of the the long shot option. Yep. Um, one other guy that I wanted to mention real quick, Kelvin Taylor is the minimum price at running back. He's only 3000. I mean, we're only projecting him for four points right now. He had 35% of uh, backfield weighted opportunity through two weeks, but this isn't a very valuable backfield for fantasy purposes. So I would, I mean, I think he's clearly, if you're playing a min price guy at running back, Nick Holly, uh, who we'll get to a little yeah, later is, is a much better option. Um, but I figured I'd, I'd at least throw out Kelvin Taylor there as like, you know, if you if you want to go really galaxy brain on the min price running back plays, Kelvin Taylor is is probably the guy for you. Um, much more interesting conversation to be had on the Arlington side of things. Uh, we got a tweet yesterday that Kyle Sloter is now the starting quarterback for the Arlington Renegades. Um, you look around the industry and it kind of looks like most sites are projecting Sloter for a 100 percent pass share, which. I'm not sure is necessarily correct. I mean, Sloter, his preseason numbers are are really impressive. If you only looked at that, you'd think this guy might be the best quarterback in the XFL. The problem, though, is that he was really bad in the USFL. He scored more than 20 DraftKings points only once. You know, he was he was a full-time starter, started every game. Um, and he only averaged around 10 DraftKings points per game in the USFL. And if you aren't very successful in the USFL, I have a hard time believing you're going to be very successful in the XFL, I also think there's a benching risk here. Sloter, though, only 6,000. Um, this is a really interesting spot, and I think probably the most important, um, you know, sort of decision point at the quarterback position. Yeah, I think so. We're we're basically doing basically like an 80-20 split right now between him yeah. and um, Plitt. And so, so if you you really kind of have to make your own call on this one, if if you because we can't really reflect his ceiling in a project in a, in the median projection. So if you if you think Slaughter is going to get a full game, and you 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 should treat him when you put him in your lineup that way, as if he's getting the whole game. You don't want him splitting reps at all, and if and vice versa, if you think this is going to be somewhat of a shared uh, QB room this week, then it makes it basically kills both guys just because there's better plays at quarterback you can do elsewhere. Um, so I think I'm probably going to have at least one, a few lineups with Sloter as if uh, maybe he does get the full game and, and like Orlando's not great. They put up points, but I'm definitely not assuming that that is the case. And, and it, you know, it's going to, it's going to keep his projection down a bit for us because of that. Yeah, I think there will definitely be some people who look at the projection and think like, oh, this guy, you know, very clearly the top quarterback play of the slate. But I mean, he has obvious flaws. One is not being very good. And two is the the possibility that that Plitt could come in there and, um, you know, steal some snaps. And also Arlington fairly run heavy, only a 56 percent mm-hmm. pass rate this season. So, you know, Sloter could still start the whole game and just not really do anything because they're so run heavy and. Um, yeah, you know, if he doesn't, doesn't deliver the throws. So Sloter is, is, you know, obviously he has some warts and, um, yeah, I'm going to play, I'm going to play a little bit. He's at 6,000. He's a little scary to fade entirely, especially if he right. does get the full game. Um, but you know, I, 
I think I'm going to be drastically underweight if he clocks in around 20%, which I think is is very possible given how he's projected around the industry right now. Yep, I think that that all makes perfect sense. The um, the other positions are all. Per, I mean, Arlington's got running backs and receivers are both pretty interesting though, despite the QB. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's sort of like the leverage opportunity, so to speak here. I mean, Davion Smith is going to be super popular. We know that he's right there with Morgan Ellison as the top running back play of the slate. Keith Ford um, was cut and Keith Ford was really the only other guy who was live for red zone touches in the Arlington backfield. So Davion Smith, I mean, geez, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw a 75% snap share and, you know, hundred percent of, of touches inside the red zone. And especially for a team that's, you know, favored by eight and a half points with a 22 point uh, implied team total. Um, you know, it's, it's just a killer role. Yeah, it's really surprising because so week one before we knew really anything about how all this was going to stick out, I I thought Adrian Killens was a good leverage play because of he, he's the super he's a small like real fast guy you know maybe his athleticism makes a difference in the Springleys and we really didn't see it at all so and then and then we get to week two and Keith for Keith Ford's still being worked in Devion Smith is getting majority but Killens started to see some work. But now we see Keith Fork cut. But Killens, like I said, he's he's more of this pass-catching, shifty, small guy, which was pretty much what De- Devion Smith was mostly doing the first two weeks, with Ford being kind of the bruiser of the of the group. So th- it's really interesting. I don't know what – I'd be surprised if they don't add another running back to fill the Keith Ford role. Maybe it was just too late in the week to get somebody on the team and whatnot and mm-hmm. up to speed. But for this week, I, I mean, it makes me really like Devion Smith, despite the ownership, just because I don't know. I don't think Killens is going to get a ton of those goal line and and red zone looks. Yeah, I, I don't think Killens is is very live to score. And I mean, like you said, you know, he probably gets a decent bit of the pass game role. But I mean, how much of a pass game role is there going to be if they, you know, if they end up winning by double digits here against right. a, a really bad Orlando team? Um, so, yeah, I'll, I'll certainly, you know, I'll probably come close to matching the field on, on Smith's ownership, I'd expect, you know, 35, 40% there, probably just under, under Ellison. I think Ellison uh, projects as a slightly better value um, in most places, but I mean, yeah, Davion Smith really, really right there is an incredibly strong play, you know, killings only 3,300. You you can play him, um, but I I think you're kind of betting on Orlando to keep it a little close in that scenario. So it may be wise, you know, if in lineups with killings, you may want to boost guys like, like Latimer, Eli Rogers, um, maybe even Lance Lenore. That's, that's a real galaxy brain pairing the, the Lance Lenore plus plus killings there. Um, <laughs> yeah, we, the, uh, we, uh, like we said earlier that we, um, Arlington has the highest implied team total. So, you know, and, and in a backfield where there's literally only two guys. Yeah. Killings is definitely viable. Yeah, no, you're. I, I think you're definitely going to want a piece of this uh, of this backfield for sure. And I mean, I, I think you're going to want some of these receivers. Um, you know, obviously Sal Canella is sort of the leader for Arlington in the pass game, but you know, Tyler Vaughn's at min price is certainly in play. Um, we have him projected as their uh, number two pass catcher right now behind Canella. Um, you know, for me, I think those are probably the only two guys I'm going to play. Um, Lawan Winningham is a little interesting. 
um, because he we saw a decent uptick in his route share last week. He actually forced two fumbles on special teams, so maybe that was just the <laughs> the prize for the uh, <laughs> the two forced fumbles. Um, but I mostly just want Vaughn's and Canella here. Do you have do you have any strong opinions? Yeah, the, I'd agree with that. Like you said, Winningham definitely is probably a good leverage play in spots if you need the ownership break. Um, Brandon Ar- Arcanado was the seems like the the loser last week in terms of losing the route share, so he's pretty much out of my player pool. Whereas after week one, he looked like he might be solid moving forward, but he's pretty much out. But yeah, Vaughn's Vaughn should be much 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 more expensive than he is. Yeah, just hasn't shown up in the box score yet. Um, so it'll mostly be Vaughn's and Canella with a little bit of Winningham mixed in probably. Yeah. I think, you know, especially if we assume Sloter is going to be pretty popular, which I, I think at this point is a, is a near guarantee. Uh, Winningham is, is a very interesting way of, um, creating a very unique Sloter stack because everyone's going to do Sloter plus Canella, um, Sloter plus Vaughn's, but, um, yeah, mixing in someone like, like Winningham in there, right. You know, could keep things a, a little interesting. Um, all right. Moving on to the final game of the slate. We've got the San Antonio Brahmas at the Houston Roughnecks. Kickoff is Sunday at 8 p.m. The total here is 36 points. Houston is favored by four and a half. Um, The only bet that I've made so far this week is over 35 and a half here. I don't think anyone is hanging that number anymore. But honestly, even 36, I I still like the over. Um, I just, you know, I see these as... The defenses are are solid, but you know the, the offenses combined are averaging fifty and a half points per game. I, I tweeted this out the other night. I think we have internally we have the total at what like thirty nine and a half. Um, so yep. yeah, so the over here is is definitely tempting. I'm I'm optimistic that we'll see a pretty good offensive performance here. Do you have any any leans on uh, on bets? No, yeah, I think you nailed it. The over is enticing, and I think San Antonio what. Well, it's not a ton of value there. I think they can keep it closer than four points. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think I think their Vegas is selling San Antonio a little short. San, San Antonio just needs to get pushed a little yeah. bit, and I'm sure we'll we'll get to it. But I I think they may have the best QB in this league in terms of just QB talent overall from what we've seen so far. So if they can get pushed into passing the ball more, and we know Houston's going to pass the ball even though they did take a, a slight dip uh, last week, which was a little surprising, but we, they're still going to pass a lot, just n- not near like the Seattle levels. This game can easily get way, way higher, closer to 40 points than what it's currently being listed at. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, you know, moving on to the San Antonio passing attack, I think you're spot on there. Jack Cohn is like, legitimately good I, I really wasn't impressed with san antonio in, in week one but just re-watching their their week two game i mean cone looked really solid he was he was efficient he threw a lot of good balls through two weeks he's pff's highest graded passer um leading the league in in passer rating and, and big time throws i mean cone is cone is a pretty good option at, at quarterback this week I, I don't think he's gonna catch um much ownership here uh do you, do you have a take on the san antonio uh quarterback yeah i i will definitely be playing cone this week uh cone and hunley are probably my two favorite qbs this week especially leverage qbs and then you've got like danucci and stuff but much more gonna be much more popular um and then 
he's not too hard to stack with. I mean, we're seeing the slot role for him be like an obsession for him. Uh, yeah. It was uh, Landon Akers in week one. Last week, we every, I think everybody in the industry thought it was going to be Fred Brown, and it was not. It was Darius <laughs> yeah. Robertson who came up with a 34% target share. I mean, you can play those two, and like it might be like one of the best stacks of the week and not that popular. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm I'm totally with you there. We we have Robertson projected as the pretty clear top receiver value of the week. Um, and yeah, he's just like all the underlying stats in, in week two were, were really, really strong. A key injury note here is that Jalen Tolliver looks to be extremely questionable. He was limited on, I believe, Wednesday's practice with a groin issue and then bumped down, uh, didn't participate in Thursday's practice with the same groin issue. That makes me think he's probably going to miss I'm having a hard time figuring out who the biggest beneficiary of that would be. I mean, my lean is sort of that we would kind of spread out Tolliver's targets to, you know, all the other starters because uh, they move him around a good amount. He doesn't really have a uh, a set place in the in the formation. Um, but I mean, I think the biggest beneficiaries would be Darius Robertson um, and uh, TJ Basher. Yes. Yeah. Well, and maybe Fred Brown, like maybe we do see Fred Brown actually play more. I think he had 18 routes last week. Maybe that gets bumped into closer to a full-time role. But I mean, with, with Robertson at, at 3000, it's, it's kind of hard to get away from. Um, yep. so. Yeah. I already was playing around before the show with, all right, if, if to, let's, let's pull Tolliver's number at least down and mm -hmm. not totally to zero yet, just cause we don't know for sure yet. Yeah, And my inclination was basically to do what you said, bump the starters. Like most of it went to Vasher, a little bit to Robertson. And then you give a little bit to Travis Johnson and, and Fred Brown. Um, and then gave a decent, a little bit of a bump to Elise Mack too, the tight end. Mm -hmm. He's not running a ton of routes. He's running over half, but he but he's getting targets when he's running them though. So I think he is an okay play as well as a pass yeah. catcher for this team. We saw Mac and uh, Dion Yelder both score last week. I think these tight ends are going to be fairly involved in the red zone. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm fine with, I, I actually believe it's pronounced Alizé Mac. Oh. Um, yeah, that, that's what they were saying on the broadcast. I'm trying to, <laughs> trying to make note of the pronunciation so that we for can, the, we can for get the it spring right. Football so, guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, I, you know, I think they're, they're all in play and the, I mean, the best part about this passing attack is like, you know, cone isn't particularly expensive and the wide receivers are not super cheap. So, yeah. and you know, it's not going to be tremendously popular. I, I do think on, you know, if you're playing cone lineups, you're always going to want to use at least one Houston player um, on those teams. Um, before we get to Houston though, we need to talk about the San Antonio backfield. Um, Don asked in the chat, do you think San Antonio is going to stop running Balage on first and constantly being in second and long situations? Um, honestly, I, I'm not sure they, they seem very determined to run the ball. Uh, neither running back that they have, uh, <laughs> seems particularly good. Um, Kalen Balaj is still, you know, Kalen Balaj. Um, at the same time though, you know, Balaj is certainly live for, you know, 20 carries and red zone work. Granted, we did see a more even split in week two. Do you, I mean, what's your take on this running back situation? Cause I really don't have like a I strong mean, opinion here. Yeah. It legit might be like the least efficient backfield in the, in the league. It's just yeah. that neither of them is giving the team really anything with their carries, which is probably what, why we're seeing this. Like we saw such the split we saw in week two. 
they're they're just trying to see who can kind of grab hold of this thing and run away with it. It pretty much makes me not really interested in either of them because of that, and because we're kind, we both kind of think this might be a a pace up spot for them. I'd rather I'd rather just play receivers or or stacks with cone whatever whatever it is than try to figure out this backfield. Yeah, I mean the best the best part of this offense is the passing attack and I think especially, you know, if they were if they were playing Orlando like they were last week, you know, it's sort of a different story with targeting these running backs, but against Houston, I I really only want uh, pieces of the passing game. To be fair though, Balage did have a I believe it was a 67% route share in week 2, which is mm-hmm. which is really strong, but you know, at the same time it's it's also Kalen Balage and it didn't result in any targets. Yeah. Um so Really, I think you just want Cone and these and these pass catchers here. Um, yeah, if I had to pick one, it would be Balage, but not not really interested in doing that for the most yeah. part. Yeah, I mean, I guess like you could get a you could get a pretty unique combination and go like you know Cone Robertson plus Balage and That's kind of hope bad. that it's yeah. like uh, more of a San Antonio blowout script and that Houston is actually the team playing from behind for most of the game. That you know something like that could be a little interesting. I, I don't necessarily think I'm going to go that route, but it is it is viable. Um. All right, moving on to the the Houston side. I mean, this is this is America's team. I think we all love the Houston Roughnecks and the way that they're they're playing offense. The quarterback situation though isn't exactly perfect. I mean, Brandon Silvers, you know, is a guy that I'm I'm going to play a little bit of because of Houston's pass rate and and you know how explosive this passing attack can be. But the problem is that Cole McDonald is is rotating in. He might steal touchdowns. I mean, they're they're mostly just putting him in to to run the ball. They're really not giving him many passing opportunities. Um, but yeah, the problem is that, you know, he could run the ball on conversion attempts. He could run the ball at the goal line. Um, you know, he's going to steal some reps there. If, if we could only project Brandon Silvers for, you know, hundred percent of the quarterback role, he'd probably be right there with Danucci in terms of projection. But unfortunately we, we can't do that with the way they're rotating McDonald in. Um, yeah. What are your thoughts on, on Silvers? Cause I'm, I'm still not sure how much of him I really want this week. Yeah, I don't know how much I want of him either. I definitely, you can feel comfortable playing multiple Houston pass catchers without the QB. I don't think you have to play the QB, at, but you, because of how much we expect them to pass, you can still get away with playing multiple guys uh, that can catch the ball. It, yeah, I mean, McDonald had like a almost a 20, he's, he's averaging a 20% rush there, which is pretty significant chunk for, for a quarterback. Um, and it's, it's just, it's just enough to make silvers not look awesome. Um, but he's still viable. I, I kind of see him kind of like playing AJ McCarron because he's a little bit cheaper. You just know he's also not going to get the full workload. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely with you there. Um, and I, I totally agree with your take that you can play multiple Houston pass catchers without silvers. That's the only team that I think, you know, you, you can do that. Um, but yeah, I'm, man, I'm I'm having a tough time because I I definitely want to play Silvers. Like, there's certainly the scenario where he just throws mm-hmm. a bunch of passing touchdowns, racks up a ton of yards, and has a great game. Um, but it really does feel like his ceiling is is capped relative to some of these other quarterbacks who we know are going to play every snap. Um, running back for Houston, I I also think is a pretty interesting discussion because we have two guys in in Max Borgie and, and Nick Holly. Um, who I think are, are pretty solid options. Borgie's 9,000. Um, I had him as, um, you know, RB3 in my in my TLDR. I think he's probably my favorite payoff option at, at running back this week. I understand that, you know, some of the underlying metrics aren't 
um, as good as, you know, maybe Davion Smith in terms of like snap share and route share. But the bottom line is like when he's on the field, he's getting the ball. 75% of backfield weighted opportunity has come Borgie's way, which easily leads um, all running backs. So, you know, they want to get the ball in his hands when he's on the field. The problem is that, you know, he's, he's 9,000. So he doesn't project particularly well in terms of value, but I, I also think that's going to keep his ownership down, you know, hopefully somewhere yep. around 15%, which I'm, you know, I'm more than happy with. I'll gladly play Borgie at 15%. Yep. Yeah. Um, Dejuan Lee let me down last week. I yeah, really thought he would, uh, they, they just totally killed his carry share this week mm-hmm. and, and just gave more of it to Borgie, which was always a possibility. Um, but now yeah, I like that Borgie is, is as expensive as he is because it's going to keep his ownership in check and it makes him, makes him a pretty good play in my eyes, just because there's plenty of other places to save salary. And if I can get, get different by playing the running back for one of the best offenses, then I am more than happy to do so. Yeah. Yeah. Davion, uh, Davion Smith and, Morgan Ellison are such easy clicks that people are just going to have a really hard time getting up to Borgie. Um, and, you know, to me, I think that makes him a pretty great play for tournaments. Uh, Nick Holly is, you know, uh, I think he had a hundred percent route share last week. This guy's only playing receiver, but DraftKings <laughs> lists him as a running back. He's the minimum price. I mean, there's, there's definitely the risk of a, of a zero here. Uh, but there's also the possibility of, you know, four or five targets playing receiver. Um, I don't, I don't know if there is a risk of a zero. He ran a hundred percent of the routes last week. Um, obviously, uh, who was out last week for them? I'm blanking on his name. Uh, Travell uh, Harris. Yes. Travell Harris. When we don't know, he's not on the injury report, right? But he's, but he's not listed very high on the depth chart. So I think there's a good chance Holly can give you something. It, I don't know what the ceiling is, but mm-hmm. I don't think you have to be worried about taking a zero. I just don't know how high it is. And at three K and, in the worst spot to fill in your lineup, the running back spot where no one scores a ton of points. Yeah. I think he's a pretty nice, nice click. Yeah. I mean, in terms of like a salary saving option, I, I think he's pretty strong and I, I really don't think many people are going to get there because Morgan Ellison's only 1600 more and projects, I mm-hmm. mean, just drastically better across the industry. So, um, you know, that's, um, that's that's certainly a viable option there. Wide receiver is really tricky to project. I know we've we've talked about this a, a good amount this week. Um, Travell Harris was inactive last week, and that sort of thrust Holly and Cedric Bird into much better roles. Um, you know, the guys that we know for sure are going to be out there regardless of Harris's status are John Trey Kirkland and Deontay Burnett. Um, I'm not sure if you have a lean between those two. I think I like Burnett slightly more given that he just totally failed last week. Only 0.4 uh, DraftKings points at like 50% ownership. I mean, just let a ton of people down. Um, but I do think I slightly prefer him to Kirkland because he's not quite as good of a value. Should get a little bit of an ownership discount there. And I, I'm sure some people will be a little salty about um, how he performed last week. So yeah, do you have a do you have a preference between Burnett and Kirkland before we get to these other guys? I don't think I have a preference. I, I do think you're probably on to something saying that he might come in a little bit lower ownership because of the price bump, which, yeah, maybe that makes me lean that way a little bit. But if you need that extra $1,400 or whatever, then I have no, to me, Kirkland's also a great click. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. I think I think the way to view these wide receivers, and I mean, in the interviews I've seen with AJ Smith, Houston's offensive coordinator, he, pretty much suggests this is like, they're the same, they're the same guy. They have the the same mm-hmm. role and they're, you know, pretty much the same guy. So I just, 
um, you know, make note of what you think ownership's going to be at and play the lower owned guy. That's that's yep. how I'm going to try to play probably it a good week. way to approach it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, After beyond, that, though, it's not yeah, fun. Beyond those two, it is it is really really tricky. Um, we saw Travell Harris uh, inactive last week. My assumption was that that was due to him being limited in practice. So, you know, he didn't get it, you know, whatever the new installs were, um, he probably wasn't able to participate very much. And they just decided, you know, you're not, you're not ready. He does. He wasn't on the injury report at all this week, appears completely healthy, but at the same time, he still has not reclaimed his starting spot on the Houston depth chart. That said, the Houston depth chart was the only depth chart that came out this week that said subject to change. Um, <laughs> so, what does that mean? <laughs> exactly. Right. I, I, I honestly have no idea. Um, so it's, it's interesting. I think if Travell Harris is active, we have him right now. I mean, he's, he's right there with bird and, and Holly in terms of projection. We do have him slightly, slightly above, you know, the wide receiver three, but only barely if Travell Harris is active, I view him as a pretty strong tournament play, especially paired with silver, something like, uh, Harris Burnett silvers as a pretty strong double stack there. Um, because I think there's a decent chance that he reclaims his week one role where he, you know, had like an 86% route share and 11 targets, I believe. Um, so, you know, at the same time, there's, there's also the risk that he's active and that it's much more of a rotation here. Um, so I, I view Travell Harris as sort of like a high risk, high reward, uh, type of play. If he's active, obviously if he's inactive, you're really only looking at, um, bird and Holly and also Ben, uh, Putman will, um, rotate in there uh but I, I would say bird and holly would probably be the guys i'd want the most of uh, I, I don't know it's it's a tough situation I'm, I'm very curious what what your thoughts are yeah i think i'm on the same path as you if i if harris is active he's he's a good play it's just high risk high reward yeah um i probably because you probably don't ever want to pair burnett and kirkland in the same lineup for ownership reasons so it's probably one of the two and then pick Harris or bird or Holly, even Holly, like you can do stacks that way as well. And then you've got Putnam, like you said, Justin Smith will work in uh, even Garrett Owens, the, the only tight end works in a little bit as well. Just it, you want one of the big two and then pick one of Harris, Holly or bird, depending on who's active and who's not pretty much. Yeah, I, I do wonder if we'll see more of Justin Smith, just given how mm -hmm. bullish offense coordinator AJ Smith was on him in a, in a recent interview. I know that that, you know, the industry was got, got a little ahead of themselves, us included, I think, on on AJ Smith being heavily involved or Justin Smith, I mean, being heavily involved uh, in this offense. But I mean, yeah, it is it is really tricky after um Burnett and Kirkland. So I would just, I would just pay very close attention to the inactives. Obviously we will get our projections updated as soon as possible to, to reflect, um, you know, whoever the inactive wide receiver is. Cause I can't imagine they go in with, you know, all, I think it's seven guys, like all seven active that, that wouldn't make a ton of sense. Um, so we'll, you know, it should slim down once we get inactives, but it is, it is really tricky. Um, after those two final note though, on Nick Holly, like, it's kind of a cheat code to play five wide receivers in your, in your lineup, given how bad these running backs are. So that, <laughs> that does saying. make me, I, I think, yeah, that does make me like Holly a little more where it's just like, we can totally <laughs> abandon the running back position. If I told um, you, you could play a guy on the Houston roughnecks. That's going to run close to a hundred percent of his routes at mid price in the running back spot. <laughs> yeah, you'd mean, be in all your lineups. <laughs> yeah. It, it does kind of sound too good to be true. Um, 
All right. Closing things out with some macro slate thoughts here. Um, honestly, like the main thing that, that, that I have is that the chalk this week just feels very, very iffy. Um, I think, you know, like we said, Morgan Ellison, obviously a very strong running back play, but at the same time in a backfield that just hasn't had much production at all. Kyle Sloter, especially, um, you know, he's a, like a very, very risky play at quarterback. I think he has a lot more downside than industry projections are reflecting right now. Um, even just getting away from those two guys a little bit will help you create super unique teams. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm curious. What are your, what are some of your macro thoughts on this slate? Yeah, it's the, I really like the leverage at QB this week with Cohen yeah. and Hunley. I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm still deciding what I think of Ellison, but, but I like the chalk at running back with Devion Smith a lot. And I, yeah. and then I just, between the QBs and stacking around them, I think it's very easy to get different and not overthink my running back spot too much this week. Cause there's just, most of them are not very good anyway. And, and yeah, and go from there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, um, Unlike last week, I thought was pretty straightforward at quarterback with, I mean, I, I only played Danucci and Silvers and a little bit of McCarran. Um, this week, I think you, there's a lot more opportunity for leverage, especially if Sloter is going to soak up, you know, 20% of quarterback ownership. I think that, you know, that, that could definitely make for some compelling spots. Um, and yeah, really, really like Hunley. I think, I think those stacks are going to go, go pretty under-owned. Um, Alrighty, Chris, if, if you don't have anything else, I think, uh, I think we can get out of here. No, I'm good. Alrighty guys. Well, uh, for myself, for Chris, for producer, Sean behind the glass, thank you so much for tuning in to the week three edition of the fantasy points XFL breakdown. I hope to see you all at the top of the leaderboards this week. Good luck. Thanks for tuning in to this edition of the fantasy points podcast. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite platform. And come join the roster at FantasyPoints.com.